My sense is our multifamily is down between 15 and 25% from the peak, which I would designate as January 2022. We're going to see a much higher volume of properties actually transact at the lower price levels. The seller's asking 10 million and we're offering 8.5 and it's just no deal, nothing happens. I think next year you're going to actually start seeing the deals happen at I the 8.5 and they're going to say, oh, look, prices are down another 10%. No. What's up, Tribe listeners? I want to talk about our sponsor for today's episode, GoBundance, the tribe for healthy, wealthy, generous people who choose to live epic lives. It's a tribe I've been a part of for five years now, and it's I keep coming back year after year because of the quality of the connections and interactions that I get and the accountability that I get toward the goals that I'm looking to achieve. GoBundance has meant everything to me, so I'm really, really proud to sit here on the Tribe of Millionaires podcast and tell you a little bit about GoBundance. Here's the thing. Why do you live where you live? Think about it. Why do you live in the neighborhood you live in or the apartment building you live in or wherever it might be? Usually people move into a community because of the quality of the neighbors and all of the amenities that are available to them. And then they go about using those amenities and leveraging that community to the best of their ability for growth. They make connections with neighbors, lifelong friendships, things that serve them. We want that for ourselves, for our wives or husbands and our children. That's what GoBundance is at the next level. Imagine if you're a man moving into a community of other millionaire men that are driven toward being the best versions of themselves as fathers, as husbands, in their health, in their relationships, in their contribution, you name it. That's what GoBundance provides. For me, it's been everything. I get with my GoBundance brothers on a weekly basis and I tell them, this is where I'm trying to go. Things I can't share with the regular folks in my life, my friends, my family that I've known forever. They only know me for who I've been. GoBundance guys, they know me only for who I'm becoming. And when I deviate, when I go off course from being that guy, from taking action toward being that guy, that's when they step in, that's when they hold me accountable, and that's what accelerates my growth. Go to GoBundance.com right now and apply. If you're a millionaire and a man, GoBundance.com. If you're a woman and a millionaire, GoBundanceWomen.com. And if you're not quite a millionaire, go to GoBundanceEmerge.com and you join me in the community that I've created in partnership with GoBundance to get yourself to that place of being what we call a whole life millionaire. GoBundance.com. You can start there, see everything that we have to offer. It's an incredible community. I can't wait for you to be a part of it. Now, back to the show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Tribe of Millionaires podcast. I am your host, Jamie Gruber, and it's my job here to extract nuggets of wisdom, peak performance habits from some of the most successful people on the planet. In this member episode, my guest is the one and only Andrew Cushman, who's a former chemical engineer who found his entrepreneurial calling in real estate. In 2007, Andrew left his corporate position to start a business in real estate investment, starting off flipping single-family properties in Southern California and later transitioning to multifamily acquisitions. And he has successfully syndicated and repositioned over 2,700 multifamily units. He is a founder and principal with DAPT, D-A-P-T Acquisitions, a partnership actually with the GoBundance Elders. Andrew, welcome, man. Hey, it's good to be here. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Let's start with that. So you, how did you win the favor- of said elders, <laughs> D-A-P-T, for those that don't know, D-A-P-T, David, Andrew, Pat, Tim. How did you get the, to be the A in that uh, in that lovely little little acronym? Starting in like 2008 was Tim Rudd. And uh, so, you know, he was a, 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 a mentor in business, uh, became, you know, we started skiing together, became, became friends. And then when I transitioned into multifamily, the very first one I did, he brought Pat and David in as investors. I, you know, we just, we, I remember I was sitting in a, we were on a family vacation and I was sitting at a, in a hotel room in Illinois on a conference call and Tim introduced me to those two guys. And so they invested in, 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 in that deal. And then they all invested in like the next two. And then we were at a conference. Uh, this was before GoBundance had started and uh, they were right about the same time. And uh, they just they pulled me aside and said, hey, look, we love being actual investors, but, you know, we know a lot of um, wealthy people and you're good at operations. So how about we partner and, uh, you know, we'll help we'll help bring in equity and investors and you can focus more more on operations. And I'm like, hey, that sounds like a good good partnership. And, you know, especially 
I had only fairly recently gotten to know Pat and David, but I knew how uh, amazing of a guy Tim was. And, uh, you know, knowing that these are his, you know, two of his best friends and the guys that he respects, uh, I'm like, you know, this is probably a good thing. And it's been amazing to, it's really been an awesome thing, not just in building a business, but uh, just getting to to interact and and hang out with and learn from those three guys for so long has been a, a huge impact and blessing on my life. So, Can you talk about, maybe this is advice for anybody listening on soliciting partners like that, not even soliciting, that's not the right word. The story you just told was organic. You know, you know, Tim, you're, you're doing some stuff. People could bring, they could bring money in, but there's something that you were doing or not doing, or there's something about you that obviously attracted these folks who are, you know, very well-known investors in our world to say, yeah, we want to be partners with him. Do you, do you have any sense if you were advising somebody on, Hey, I want to be a partner with, maybe it's not the elders, but you know, some other big name that they've heard of in GoBundance or some other big name in the real estate space, you for that matter, what is the kind of value that, that. Uh, somebody needs to offer, or what are some of the things that you did well, intentionally or not, that won the favor or won over the ability for you to long-term partner with rock stars? Yeah, I, it's one of those things. It's kind of like uh, it's uh, who was it? What was it? The Supreme Court justice said, you know, when asked what's the difference between uh, pornography and art, and he's like, I don't know. I just know it when I see it. Um, you know, it's kind of one of those things. Like you just you just know it when you see it. I, I think what it comes down to is. You know, it's not like, okay, go do these, go do these three things. And then all of a sudden you can have the right partners. It was a matter of, you know, I think that they could see that as an operator and as a person, uh, I was, I hate, almost hate the word authentic nowadays because it's just so overused, but doing things as correctly as I knew how to do them as trans being fully transparent um, trying to put everyone's interest, um, you know, really our, our investors' interest first and, and mine second. And it wasn't because I had a, a, a perfect track record. I mean, I hadn't lost any money or anything, but it's not like uh, everything I had touched had been a home run. So I think it was a combination of just alignment of values uh, and 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 seeing a, a mutual opportunity. Um, it might actually even be a better question for them. Uh, but, uh, you know, like, why did, why, what did you see in this guy? Um, but, uh, and who, and who knows, like I said, Tim was the one who originally brought them into my world, uh, and, and vouched for me. And the, you know, anyone who knows Tim is, you know, that guy's just, he's got a heart of gold. And, you know, I, you know, I can tell you one thing that kind of led to it is, is I, especially if it's somebody that Tim brought into my world, I just had a sense of, I never want to let Tim down. Right. So I'm going to deliver as best as I can for these guys. Uh, and I think that just, you know, if, if you're consistently, honestly doing that, people will see that and take note. And that's generally, you know, some, uh, uh, something that people want to be a part of or be around or, or partner up with. So do you ever anticipate a world in which you're not partnered? in any way, and even with these guys? Are you at a point or do you envision getting to a point where you say, hey, for all of us, it's time for me to move on on my own? I don't. And actually, the, the biggest mistake I did, I made was just doing it alone for too long, for as long as I did. Uh, you know, the number one, um, you know, I mean, could, I mean, yes, I could go out and do sizable deals completely on my own. Um, it wouldn't be as fun. Um, it wouldn't be as good for our investors because I would, we would lose the, the depth of knowledge and insight and resources, um, that, you know, my partners, you know, contribute, uh, there's, there's other financial and business aspects that contribute. And candidly, you know, I, I, you know, I hear about all these people, you know, partnerships breaking up and, you know, every, you know, you hear it's partnerships like marriages, right? Easy to get mm -hmm. into much harder to get out of. And I've been fortunate that, you know, we formed DAPS, you know, 10 plus years ago, and it's been great the entire time. I generally enjoy being partners um, with the three of them. And uh, I've, I've, grown, I've really come to love having a, uh, a, a team and, you know, of, of, of rock stars. Um, so I, you know, that, that separating from that would be the last thing I would even consider. Even even if somehow I thought the financial gain personally would be greater, I think the intangible value 
uh, of the partnership is is larger. And and candidly, you know, life's too short to to be doing things you don't like or or that, that aren't fun. And it's fun working with those guys. So. You know, it's funny. I'm I'm on the flip side of I feel like in some ways a partnership with them, not at the scale that you're at, but with uh, with Emerge, with Abundance Emerge. That's an entity separated out that I am, you know, one of the five elders of, if you will, right? So you got the four elders and then me, kind of as a, mm-hmm. as a partnership in in Emerge. And it's the it's sort of the flip. You were, hey, let me run this thing from behind the scenes, so to speak, right? And and you bring in the capital, great. And my thing is more like, hey, I want to get the biggest microphone I can possibly find. And these guys are like, well, we don't want that. So here you go. Build your brand off of GoBundance. Here's the podcast. You know, Here's Emerge. Be a partner with them. Uh, and I'll be honest, I have thought about, is there a point at which I need to move on from? And uh, you know, what it o- always boils down to is, one, I like, why? Because these guys are great. You know? and, and to your yeah. point, there's, there's so much more equity, value in being in their, you know, in their, in their world. And they, honestly, they just, they don't, they're not involved. They don't bother me. They don't, you know, they're not all over me. They just want to know that things are going well. How can we help this, that, and the other, but there's a lot of value in the, in the uh, ancillary connection, ancillary benefits, if you will, of being partners with them uh, above and beyond. And yeah, I couldn't have chosen or couldn't have been blessed with a greater group of guys, to be honest with you, to be partners with. So your first deal I've heard this legendarily. Your first deal, I don't know if it was with them <laughs> or not with them, but it didn't go so well. Can you give a little bit of context? Again, was it with DAPT or not? Or maybe it wasn't called DAPT yet. I don't know. And what were the what were the, you know, what was the reality on the ground of that deal? Yeah, my first one, uh, that was with that's with my pers- was done under my personal entity, Vantage Point Acquisitions, which is the manager of of DAPT. So it still still exists. And a lot of people will be like, wait, I hear Vantage Point, I hear DAPT. What's the relationship? But functionally, they're they're basically the same these days. But so my very first deal was I um mostly vacant 1960s and 70s, 92 unit property on the other side of the country in Macon, Georgia. Mm-hmm. And uh low income area higher crime area i remember we walked into the police the the police chief's um office and said hey you know introduced ourselves said hey we'd like to work with you and help clean this area he just looked at us and said good luck (laughs) and we're like uh that's not quite the response we were looking for but all right uh anyway we did we did get it cleaned up and you know it's funny it it that definitely was a learning experience in terms of you know we underestimated the renovation budget you know, we had dealings dealt with stuff like vandalism that cost fifty thousand dollars. You know, you don't typically have that in your in your capex plan. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it, it was a challenging property, but um, it, it was I would in the grand scheme of things successful for I'll say two big reasons. Number one, uh, we did end up we did end up selling it for almost three times what we bought it for, so it, it did end up a you know a profitable deal. And then second, I probably wouldn't be talking to you if I hadn't done it. Uh, you know, I mean, at some point, there's, there's, you know, you, you can you can analyze so much, but at some point, you gotta you gotta take the leap and and do a deal. And you know, some people ask me, well, how did you get that deal? Well, well, I think a broker, I think the broker saw a sucker a mile away, right, and said, oh, I can get this guy to buy this thing. Uh, and it was, it was just through you know grit and relentless persistence that we we you know pulled it out and, and made it successful. But again, I just learned so much by doing that. Um, and like the stuff we do today, we are, is is informed and shaped by those early experiences. Like, okay, this is what we don't want to do. So you know, going forward, here's what we're going to do differently. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it actually, you know, so it was a. You know, it's part of why my hair is as great as as it is now. Uh, but in the in the big picture, it was uh, you know, it led us to here. So it's good. You look California cool to me, and I always <laughs> say that the uh, it's like parenting. You can study it only so much, but at some point, you got to have the kid to really experience it. It's the same oh, thing yeah. with with real estate, right? Like you and can you know study. What? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, and the first kid does not necessarily prepare you for the second one because even though you mix the same two ingredients, they come out completely different. Well, crazy. They come out completely crazy, the second one. That's been yeah. most people's experience, at least. But it's the same with real estate, right? There's only so many bigger pockets episode that can get you prepared for the two hundred and fifty thousand dollar capex or I've had two sewer pipes go because I just didn't learn the first time to do the due diligence to that level. Um, you know, so it, it's just it is what it is. If I'm not mistaken, and tell me if I'm wrong, your deals are structured as five oh six B. 
meaning Correct. for non-accredited investors, which means you can't advertise or anything like that. I'm just thinking, what is the advantage for you with a 506B versus a C? So yeah, you're right. 506B means you can, you, you, you no, 85% of our investors still are accredited. I was going to ask uh, that. Yeah, yeah. What, but, but what 506B means is we can take sophisticated or non-accredited investors, but we're not allowed to advertise or solicit in any way, which means the only people we can take into the deal are people that we already have an existing relationship with. 506C is when you can advertise all over the place. You can do Facebook ads, you know, whatever you want to do, but you can't take those non-accredited or you know sophisticated investors. Um, the reason we've stuck with 506B is there's a handful of them. Is number one, uh, our investor base has grown big enough organically and through referrals that we've never needed to advertise or solicit. Every deal we've done has sold out and in some cases very quickly. Um, even this past March, which was a very different environment than you know it has been the last 10 years. Um, also, you know, some of those sophisticated investors have been with us a very long time and we feel uh, a bit of loyalty to them. We don't want to be like, oh, hey, we're big now. Sorry, you can no longer invest. Um, it's kind of a combination of those two things. We haven't sure. needed to. And then also, once you start soliciting, you know, there's there's this, there's additional paperwork and hoops you got to go through. So now, with all that said, that doesn't mean we never will do a 506C, uh, which, you know, which allows us to solicit. Um, but even if we do, I would envision that we would still occasionally do the 506B so that the, you know, the folks that have been with us for a long time can can still participate. So with quantum, we've always done B. I've been mm -hmm. pushing C just because I I'm a I'm a I'm an out in front guy, right? I want to test my ability to market, um, you know, for for uh, for additional investors. And we're not we're not at the size of uh, of what you built with that. But one of the things that we always come back to is the burden of proof, if you will, for accreditation mm -hmm. between the two. You said paperwork is one of those things, right? Yes, filing. But if you're a C. We own as the as the company. We own confirming your your accreditation. Whereas if you're a B, right? They just they they check the box on the. Yeah, on the, I can on take the your word on it. Yep. Right. I can take your word on it. Um, but there is the B to C conversion option now. Have you considered that? You can be a B for a period and then flip to a C. Yeah, and you know that that is very intriguing since they start since they started allowing that, and that is that is definitely something I could see us doing, especially as. We get into next year, and I anticipate the uh, flow of really good opportunities to pick up significantly. Uh, you know, I could I could see doing that, starting off as a B, and then maybe going to a C, and even then, I don't know if we'll necessarily like all of a sudden start doing Facebook ads or something. What it'll mean is, is I can just talk about it freely, right? Yeah. So, like if I'm at a conference, at a panel, or on a podcast, I can't mention that or even mention that we're doing a deal. But if we're on a, doing a 506C, I don't have to worry about that. I can say, oh, yeah, we're in the middle of buying this deal in you know Atlanta or whatever. So, yeah, I could see that. that that's uh, Jamie, that's a really good point. Uh, my guess is, is if we, I shouldn't say if, the probability of our 50s, first 506C will probably be a conversion, which lets us, you know, let's just get the, the sophisticated people in first yep. and then say, okay, time's up. We're converting to 506C. And anyone else has to now fall come in under those rules. Um, yeah, so. some additional costs, but might be very well worth it. So yeah. let's talk about that. You're, I, I don't want to say the word notorious, but I will. Notoriously <laughs> conservative, uh, meaning when a deal, and this is this is part of your brand, whether you you know it or not, I'm sure you do, that when Andrew Cushman publishes a deal, it's, boy, has it been beat up. Has it been vetted? Has it been, you know, looked at in every possible doomsday scenario? Maybe, maybe a lot informed by that making Georgia deal. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But in this market, we're recording August 2023. In this market, if look, if you're anything like we are right now, there's nothing. There, there's just nothing that we see that pencils out. What are you? What are you doing in this? Are you still looking at a, a ton of deals? Are you seeing anything turn? I guess. Brief state of the market from your perspective, and you're to be clear, you're looking at A class multifamily property, correct? Is that a fair mm, A B? B B minus to A minus, A minus to B minus. Okay, so you're looking in that space, larger deals, multi million dollar deals. What are you seeing right now? What are you looking at? What's kind of coming across your desk? What do you what do you what do you feel in the moment? And then we'll talk about what you see in next year, which you started to talk about a little bit. 
Yeah, as much as we would like to be buying, we're not buying either. Uh, we, you know, we do a quarterly analysis of of everything we've looked at, and um, out of the last two hundred and some odd deals that we looked at in the most recent quarter, our at the average gap between the asking price and what we are offering is fifteen percent. Mm. So, you know, if, if the seller says my number is ten million. You know, we're probably at 8.5. Uh, we might be at 7.5 or 8. But what that means is, yeah, so, you know, we closed our last deal March 30th and have, haven't gotten close since then. And even that deal was a needle in a haystack where we had looked at several hundred and it just checked every box perfectly. And it was a loan assumption. Yeah. So we were at 55% LTV at a 4.2% fixed rate. And the seller was pretty motivated to get to to get out for some other reasons, and it it worked. I haven't been able to find anything since. And so I think what we're you know so the properties that have traded, you'll see in the headlines, oh, multifamilies down. You know, I saw thirteen percent the other day, and or ten percent or whatever. My sense is the numbers are real numbers. Our multifamily is down between 15 and 25%, depending on market and asset class, from the peak, which I would designate as January 2022. Uh, Looking forward, my sense is that as long as interest rates... So when we're talking today, the 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 yield on the 10-year treasury is roughly 4.2. And as long as that yield, which is what most fixed rate, you know, mortgage commercial mortgages are based on. But let's just we'll just say interest rates in general. As long as interest rates in general don't move significantly higher than they are today, I think we've probably seen we're either at or close to the bottom for multifamily in terms of pricing, but not in terms of volume of transactions. So what's happened is is most sellers or owners have been either our, you know, the operations are still really good. Mm-hmm. That's one. It's it's the distress is purely on the debt side, uh, and now we're starting to see a little bit of some signs of softening, but nothing major. So most good owner operators are not in a bad spot unless they put the floating rate debt on their properties, and so a lot of owners are testing the wire, saying, "Well, all right, I'll look at some offers," and they're like, "I'm not going to take that," and they're just they're saying, "I'm not going to sell." So vo- transaction volume right now is one quarter of normal. Yeah. And what we're seeing and talking to the brokers, the brokers are telling us, "Hey, we're doing way more BOVs than we were a couple months ago," which means people are saying, "Oh, geez, I actually am going to have to start selling here pretty soon." So I think what we're going to see is, you know, we're going to see a much higher volume of properties actually transact at the lower price levels. So where we're, you know, the seller's asking 10 million and we're offering 8.5 and it's just no deal, nothing happens. I think next year you're going to actually start seeing the deals happen at the 8.5. And then what that's going to translate to is you're going to have more comps at that number and they're going to say, oh, look, prices are down another 10%. No, they actually, they're already there. It's Got just it. no one's really transacting. And now if rates go up another 100 basis points, that all, you know, that, 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 that changes the calculus. Um, but that, that's my sense is that, you know, let's say in your market, multifamily is off 20%. That's probably going to be the majority of the decline. And um, and it's just properties need to actually start transacting there. Of course, the two wild cards are: do interest rates go way higher? That shifts it. Or do we get into a serious recession with major job losses that decreases NOI, net operating income? That could affect it. But you know, we we try not to. Uh, you you mentioned us being notorious for being conservative. One of the things we do that I think has led to that is we don't underwrite to an outcome. We underwrite to a bell curve of probabilities. And what my bell curve looks like is the highest probability is what I just outlined. But there's what I would call a left tail risk of, oh, what happens if interest rates go 100 basis points higher? That changes things. Um, So how, you know, what does our exit look like if that happens? And or well, 
interest rates could go down 200 points. What does it look like then, right? That's a right tail risk, which is basically a, a good risk. Anything that you've underwritten in the last three, four years, two, three years, two years for that matter, is anything on that bell curve touching where interest rates are today? Like, in other words, did you, are, is, is even this economy, because that's, uh, so I'm in a couple of deals where, of course, the operator, and, and you said it really well, the operations are strong. But their debt is where they're getting in trouble. So I'm going to deal in particular with a, with a specific operator, not a GoBundance member, that, uh, and they've been very communicative. They've been awesome about it. But their point is like it went up way faster than we could have anticipated. To me, that says they didn't either have the right rate cap in place or they they just didn't, you know, they didn't underwrite to a very conservative uh, 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 exit rate, if you will. But is is what where we are today within the realm of your bell curve, or or is it is has it r- risen beyond even where your bell curve would be in this timeline? Well, so the where we are today uh, is a point on the far left tail of the bell curve. It's on meaning, there, though. Yeah, but meaning none of us thought rates were going to go this high this fast. Uh, when you know when we were buying in 2022, the forward-looking rate curve basically predict the market was saying rates are going to go up a half a point over the next two years. We would underwrite to 100 basis points, but then we would hedge in case it was worse than that. So what that looked like in terms of, okay, well, that's great, Andrew. How do you underwrite to a bell curve of probabilities? The base case was, well, rates are going to go up 100 points, but what if they go up a couple hundred or more? And so what we did is we looked at it and said, all right, how do you hedge against that? Because that's the biggest thing that could blow these deals up. We said, all right, statistically speaking, rates today are at historic lows, like all-time historic lows. So if you look at this, the, the statistics, you know, if you're playing, if you're making bets in Vegas, the odds of rates being higher in the future were much greater than rates being lower in the future. So we said, you know what? Let's just fix these. Like the 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 downside of fixing them is is far less than the downside potential downside of floating them. So we fixed everything except for one, and I'll get into get to that one in a second. So we have properties that we bought in late 21 and in, in a couple of them in 2022 that we. Got we fixed the fixed the rates um, to and today those properties are you know the debt coverage ratio on our portfolio is average is two point two which means we can pay our mortgages two and a half times over almost or two and yeah. a quarter times two and a quarter yeah um and so that that's how we we hedged we didn't think that was going to happen but we just we hedged in just in case right so we fixed and those properties are all doing great um the one there was one property that we bought in October of twenty one where there was a new construction element to it um, because there had been a large fire and we we could not get, we had to get floating rate. We had to get a bridge loan. And that was one where we said, okay, two years down the road, we should be done with the repositioning. We're going to refinance at that point. And we plan, you know, the great curve says rates are going to be a half point higher. Let's plan on a full point higher and we'll get out. Okay, what if they're not? Well, how can we mitigate it? Well, let's make sure that we have a guaranteed term of at least three years instead of two. So we had to argue for a three-year loan. We got it. Yeah. So, all right, at what point, if rates go through the roof, does this property go negative cash flow? Okay, here, let's make sure we have a rate cap that's below that point. So we bought a three-year rate cap for $46,000. That rate cap now pays us $40,000 a month, right? So that 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 insurance policy and, and and that's you know and we're not heroes for buying a rate cap i mean any smart lender would would make you do it anyway um so that's how we that's how we at least hedge the 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 worst case scenario so that is the only property where we have um uh, an area of concern because uh that the the rate on that loan has gone up so much so it's not something that we want to keep um that 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 loan has another it it uh, comes due at the end of October of next year 2024 so we have some time on it uh the property's doing well we just got uh got it valued and you know the value came in several million above what we purchased it for and it because of that rate cap it still cash flows uh however when it comes time to exit that loan in next October uh, we will probably be looking at somewhat of a cash in refinance, uh, or like another option is to just sell the property. Um, it's a really good property in a really good area. So we'll probably do the cash in refinance. 
Um, and, you know, I know a lot of people are seeing capital calls and stuff lately. There's two kinds, right? There's a capital call that says, hey, we don't have enough money to pay the bills. Mm. That's that that kind of capital call could be throwing good money after bad. Um, what we would be doing is just saying, hey, you know what? We need to refinance this loan and put a little more equity into the deal. Right. So it's 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 basically, you know, we bought it at 65% LTV. It'd be kind of be the equivalent as if we had bought it at 55 instead. Right. So we got to raise two million dollars to so that we can, you know, cover the expenses for the next year. Uh, we'd be looking at, well, we might need to put in a million or two or whatever to buy down some equity, but then it still remains a a solid property. Will it hit the pro forma? Probably not if we have to do that, but it'll still still should be profitable. So that's the only one that um right now the outcome is not what we desired but thankfully we did have it set up so that we're not getting killed by that left tail risk do you anticipate or project rates coming down in the next 12 months and why what would be the variable that would pull them down <laughs> you know what i could pro i could sit here and give you a great argument as to why they're going to be 200 basis points lower at the end of 24. And then I could immediately turn around and give you a great argument for why they're probably going to be higher at the end of 2024. So, which is again, why we underrate the probabilities. Cause I'll listen to a podcast and the guys are arguing, telling us all the reasons why they're going to be lower. I'm like, dang, yeah, they're, they're right. And then the next podcast I listen to is like, Hey guy, this is why interest rates can be high for the next 10 years. I'm like, Oh crap, they're right. So, you know, my sense is, again, just operating in terms of probabilities, um, if you look at the history of the federal of the federal funds rate since 1954, there's roughly 12 or 13 rate cycles there, depending on how you define a cycle. And like 12 of the 13, every time rates, once they pause, on average, nine months later, rates come down faster than they went up, right? So if you go to this, yeah, so go to, if anyone who anyone who's like, what, really? Go to the St. Louis Federal Reserve Board's website, and that chart is on there. You can pull it up and look at it for yourself. That has 12 out of the last 13 cycles, rates come down faster than they've gone up. So who am I to argue with history, right? It's, I mean, you can just say, well, this and that, and this time's different, and this time is different, every time's different. But in the last 70 years, that's what's happened because the Fed almost always overshoots, puts us into a recession. You can't have a big recession, especially in an, in an election year next, you know, next November. So they cut rates really fast to try to bail everything out. Will that actually happen? I don't know. I'm not going to bet on it. It's definitely a, a non-zero chance of that happening. But there's also indications that inflation is sticky. And, you know, the Fed might cut a quarter or a point uh, in, in, you know, the second quarter of 2024. But is that going to be meaningful to a real estate operator? Like, no, that's just going to put us back to where we were two months ago. So, yeah, the, the idea, again, at the end of the day, I have no idea. Uh, I just try to try to listen to all the all the you know data points and, and informed people that I can map out the probabilities and say, all right, here's the base case and let's make sure we don't get killed if that one's not what happens. That's amazing. Did you know that the I think it's the St. Louis Fed, former head of the St. Louis Fed is a GoBro? I did not know that. No. I think it's St. Is there a Kansas City Fed? Yeah, yeah, there's a KC Fed. Might have been KC. It was in Missouri. <laughs> That's all I can guarantee. But one of those two are uh, uh, a former head of that Fed is is a is a GoBundance champion. I can connect you if you'd like. But oh yeah, um, yeah. Why not? Right. Um, well, that's fascinating. That's really interesting. Okay. So so you're but you're gearing up for the uh, just to recap this a bit. You're gearing up for the prices that are today that just haven't been realized in transactions until next year. You're you're anticipating next year that that's when all of this goes down. For for somebody buying next year, I don't know. Like I, I I've been on this pulpit, and I look. I, I lucked into being with an operator that's conservative in in uh in uh in how we and how we we buy, and it's always low loan to value, fixed rate debt, mm -hmm. right? All the stuff we buy is low loan to value, fixed rate debt. And to your point, last three deals were creatively financed, and assumption 
uh, a 1031, a large 1031, essentially a JV, kind of, you know, like one LP essentially. And then the, the GP invested the remainder uh, and a and a an owner finance deal was the last one we did in May at like 2% um, for three years, I think it was. So pretty good debt, right? But very low loan to value, a lot of equity raised, so on and so forth. Is that the way, is that is that what we learned from this cycle? That, look, these operators that went from zero to 800 million in assets under management in three years, they're doing it all with, variable bridge type debt and fixed rate low loan to value debt is the way to go. Is that what people need to do in the next year if they're starting to ramp up their multifamily? Um, you know, it's it's funny. Yeah, you it, you touched on it's, you know, a lot of the problems lie with yeah, the groups that started just 3 years ago and went from 0 to 800 million by you know, winning the bid every time and doing it with highly leveraged, you know, floating rate debt. Sometimes they would stack, you know, MES debt or preferred equity on top of that, right? Which is a, just another form of leverage. So if you're an LP behind that, forget it. Um, you know, going forward, it's not actually so simple to just say, okay, well, I'm just going to fix all the time because it has to match your business plan. If you put a 10-year you know, Fannie Mae loan on a property and fix it at today's rate, but you plan on selling in three years, that prepayment penalty might end up being 20 or 30% of your loan balance. Right. So there's it, you know, fixing is not without its downsizes too. So you have to match the debt with your business plan. Um, you know, we typically look to hold five plus years, so it makes that decision a little bit easier. Um, you know, I, this, this, I, I'm going to throw something out that I'm not necessarily saying everyone go do this. Uh, and it definitely would go against the emotional current of the day. But again, if you know, look at this statistically and from, you know, just a mathematical cold, hard facts way of looking at it, is it Better to float your rate at the bottom of a rate cycle or at the top of a rate cycle? Well, everyone who floated at the bottom of the cycle is now oh, getting top. killed. Good point. Yeah. But now that we are seem like we're at the top, even though it goes against everything your emotions and your gut tells you to do because you're seeing everyone get burned, when you're at the top of the cycle is when you float. And then you write it, ideally write it down. When you say, okay, Andrew, you talked about hedging against left tail risk. Well, how do you hedge against it if you're floating? Well, you can buy what's called an in the money rate cap. So let's say you're, you know, all in floating rate. And I don't do floating, I haven't done a floating rate loan in six months. So I'm, these rates could be completely off the wall. I'm just pulling them out of the air. So, but let, let's just say you do a floating rate loan that's at, you know, 5% right now. And you're hoping that it floats down over the next five years, but you're like, hey, you know, if this if this rate gets above six percent, I'm hosed or I can't yeah. afford it. So, or if even five percent, you can buy a rate cap that effectively locks your rate at five percent because if it goes keeps going higher, that rate cap will pay you the difference. It's like trading options in the stock market. Now, is that rate cap cheap? Absolutely not. So, you know, there's just, just a lot of costs and things to factor in. Um, it's not so simple as, oh, I'm just going to fix right now. Now, if I was going to buy something and I knew I was going to hold it for 10 years, I might go ahead and fix to say, you know what? It works well today. I want to just completely eliminate that risk. It's okay if rates go down and, you know, I don't want to refinance. I'm, I'm going to hold this for 10 years anyway. But if I'm going to, if I, if I hope to exit in three or five years, you know, it's a shorter timeline, you know, that that's when there's a few other factors to consider. That's a great point. I hadn't thought of that because I don't, I mean, I don't, you study this way more than me, but I, I think that, you know, I think rates either stay up or go down in the next 12 to 24 months. I don't see them going like way high. I think they go up a quarter point maybe. Although mm -hmm. the last I saw, there's, I think a 90% chance based on whoever the economists are that do this, that say the Fed will pause rates in the September meeting. Who knows? I mean, that's the, that's what what economists say. And if they do, maybe maybe they've hit their last raise. I don't know. Maybe they're maybe they've done their last quarter point raise, and they're going to leave it static for a while through Q4. I think there's probably one more quarter point raise in them. It's just me. Maybe it's gut feeling or whatever. But I don't know. That's an interesting point because I think if I were betting, if I were putting some money down, I would say rates pause or go down. So that's a really interesting point based on hold time. I hadn't thought of that. Smart man. Smart man, notoriously conservative. Let's dive into these. <laughs> let's dive into these GoBundance member questions, uh, so we could get you get you out of here on time. So first, 
We have six pillars in GoBundance. Oh, I usually write them down. I'm going to do them by memory. Horizontal income, a bucket list adventure, authentic relationships, genuine contribution, extreme accountability, and I think authentic relationships or age-defying health is the one I didn't say. Whichever of those. Age-defying health. You got it. That's the one I didn't say. (laughs) Which one of those pillars are you crushing it right now? Uh, you know, uh, I, you know, if I, again, this is one of the benefits of being partners with the elders for a decade is, is, is they've really helped me in a lot of these, but, um, oh man, that's tough to pick. Can I pick two? Yes. All right. Do whatever so, you want. I mean, I'm going to say the one horizontal income because, um, you know, I, I don't call it passive because it still requires some guidance and management, but, uh, our portfolio produces more than enough to pay all of our team members, um, salaries, my personal expenses. And that's part of why we can sit here and like, all right, if we don't do a deal till next year, that's fine. No problem. Um, so I feel, you know, very fortunate to be in that position of, of having the horizontal income that we can, we can be patient. Uh, and then, uh, uh, bucket list adventure. The reason I just feel like I can't leave that one off is because uh, this past winter, my friend and I went down to uh, Antarctica and uh, we climbed and skied like eight different peaks uh, on the Antarctic Peninsula after we stopped in Argentina and warmed up there. Um, so that was uh, that was a heck of an adventure and just absolutely amazing. So Very cool. Wow, I hit that continent. Most don't. So that's amazing. Uh, and which of those pillars could you use a little bit more support or accountability? Um, you know, probably authentic relationships. And the reason I picked that is the, the relationships that I have are phenomenal. Um, you know, I've been married 18 years. Our marriage is better than it's ever been. I've got a great relationship with my entire family of origin, meaning my parents and siblings. You know, I've had the same best friend, guy friend for 20 something years. However, uh, I don't do a good job at creating new relationships um, or kind of expanding. I, I have a tendency to be, um, I don't know, fully, not fully introverted, but um, what's the word? Uh, uh, oh, yeah. So I, I'm not I'm not antisocial. I'm not social. I'm just asocial. Like I just kind of like, I'll, I'll, I just I have a tendency to just do my thing. And if someone like connects with me or reaches out, okay, fine. But I, I don't, I don't put the effort into forming more, uh, uh, you know, high quality, authentic relationships. And that's that's something I should I should do. Well, like I said, I'll, I'll get you one new connection today, so uh, I'll <laughs> take care of that in some respect. There's your there's your support. Where in any area of your life are you potentially flirting with disaster? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, by my nature, I don't do that. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I guess, um, you know, every time I go into the back country, there's, there's avalanche risk. Uh, so, I mean, I literally am flirting with the disaster in that case. Again, court, you know, we're trying to do everything we can to mitigate that. Um, I would say probably the biggest, you know, there's two other things that come to mind is one, just the idea of asset protection. Uh, you know, I live in a very litigious state. And um, while we're, I think we're pretty well set up, uh, you know, there's some things I'd like to do to improve that. And then really, it's probably I'm flirting with disaster and something I don't know about. There's, you know, you know, where's the where's the gap in my knowledge that I don't realize that we're, um, you know, flirting with disaster. So makes perfect sense. In what specific way has GoBundance impacted your life? Ah, uh, it's been huge. Um, you know, again you know, Tim originally bringing me in and then, you know, working with David and, and, and Pat as well. Uh, and just, you know, so, so just, you know, I wouldn't be here without those guys, um, you know, guide me, help, you know, I'll give one, one really specific example. And this, this comes from David Osborne, you know, one of the limiting beliefs I always had for many years, and this is part of why I did it basically alone for so long, is I thought that growing bigger and scaling meant more work. And I'm like, I'm already working as much as I can or want to. So I don't, you know, I just, and what I finally figured out in talking with David is, is it's the other way around. Uh, growing and scaling means less work because it gives you the ability to put the people and processes in place 
that you can step out of that day-to-day stuff and, and, and move to a higher level and, and do more. I mean, just look at how many horizontal income lines those three guys each have. They're not working more hours in a day than, you know, than anybody else to do that. And that, that was something I, I learned. But, you know, for GoBundance as a whole, just the, you know, just to be in an environment where there's so many other people who are successful in a variety of different ways and um, that I can learn from and be inspired by and connect with. Uh, and it's just, you know, um, at the last uh, Champions event, I, I met, you know, Bo Parfait and uh, hope, sorry if I'm not saying the last name right, but I don't get anyway, that. and you know, and he's like, man, this, I'm like, damn, this guy, this is a guy after my own heart. You know, he's just uh, an investor, he, you know, is, is a mountaineer that has a level of 10 times what I am yeah. and just a, just a, a, a genuine soul, a good guy. Uh, you know, I mean, just, if you, anyone has interacted with him, just talk about it, someone who comes, you know, comes across with a servant's attitude. Uh, and it's like, man, these are the kind of people that I want to spend time around. Uh, and GoBundance is full of people like that. So it's, it, I mean, I could, I could do an entire hour just of all the different ways that, uh, it's positively, uh, impacted and, and, and affected me. Same. I'll ask you this next question about new member, but before I do, I just took real quick aside. You've been a member for a long time, obviously partnered with the elders and I guess I am too, but that's not why I stay around. But do you think, Go, do you think being a member for a year or two? is just scratching the surface. I feel like that. Like it, people are like, oh, I'll jump in for a year and see what happens. Like, eh, you might want to think about like a three-year mindset, you know, before you really start to start to build the depth of, of relationship that really helps serve whatever it is you're trying to do. Do you agree with that or or no? Uh, I, absolutely, 100%. Uh, it is, it's a compounding effect. The, the longer you are, you know, when, when you go to a winter event, and you bump into the same guy for the tenth time, it's it's a different level than um, when you're meeting someone for the first time or like, oh wait, I saw you on a call, right? I mean, and that's good, and that's the start of it. Sure, but it, it's it's a compounding effect, and the I'd say the longer you're involved, the more consistently sh- you show up the better it gets for both you as the receiver and you as the contributor and giver. Now that might be your answer to this, but maybe there's something else you want to share. What advice would you give to a new or prospective member of a GoBundance community? You know, actually I like your answer, Jamie, of give it at least a three-year mindset. The longer you're a part of it, the better it's going to be. And you know, find a way to consistently be involved. Um, I think that might look different for different people. Like I know yeah. some guys like just wholly dive into their local chapter and they're a big part of it. You know, for me, uh, I try to be on, I, I am involved in my local chapter, but not as much as, as a lot of other people are. Uh, but, you know, I try to be on every tribe wide call that I can be. Um, I think, I've out of every single winter gathering we've had, I've only missed one. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, 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 my focus is like the big, you know, the tribe wide calls, the tribe wide events, uh, because I feel like, you know, that's where I can connect with the most people. So just find a way where, uh, uh, for you that involvement works and stick with it for the longer, as long as possible. Cause the longer you do it, the better it's going to be. I think that's great advice. Two quick things I always say is one, you got to look at it like moving into a neighborhood and every year you just pay your taxes, right? Because you get value from quality neighbors and great amenities in your neighborhood. And each year gets better than the next, Mm. right? By being in a specific neighborhood. But the other thing you just said as well about, um, I I always say commit to a minimum consistent action. So it might be just you're in your pod. That's it. But that's 52 or 26 times a year, depending on how many times you meet, that you're interacting with other people that are invested in your future, and I think of Kobe, who always said, hey, everybody practices two times a day. I practice three times a day, which gives me yeah. 300 times more a year that I practice than them. And over 10 years, that's 3,000. And I just separate myself. That's how I look at consistently showing up as opposed to just trying to do everything that GoBundance offers. So great advice on both parts. Let's do the GoBundance card game question to wrap it. <laughs> All Queen, right. of, Queen of Spades. Have you ever dealt with contention in your family regarding your entrepreneurial p- pursuits? Uh you know what? Thankfully, my wife 
uh, when we got married, she had the same mentality that I did in that, like, hey, let's find something that we can do on our own. It took us years to find real estate. And if anything, you know, there, I wouldn't, it's not even really tension, but she is the one who got my butt moving. Uh, you know, I didn't want to initially pay for, you know, some of the education and the courses that we took and the coaching that we paid for. And, you know, originally, if you had told me, hey, you know, you're going to pay these annual dues to be a member of a group, I'm like, I don't need to buy friends. Get out of here. Right. Um, and and it's just like, that's that's not how it works. And so that was, I mean, again, and it wasn't like tension in a negative sense. It was her gently pulling me along saying no if you know we're going to successfully do this this is this is what we have to commit this is what we have to invest uh and so i you know i'm very fortunate her and i uh are have had the same mindset we've been business partners since since day one we work together you know seven days a week um uh, you know we're home together all the time and then in terms of my my original uh you know family of origin my my mom loves to remind me of this she was our our very very first investor check ever uh so um yeah it, there hasn't been no i don't i can't i don't talk to our neighbors or anything like that about what we do and again that's another great thing about abundance is yeah. i can actually post like yes we just closed a 48 million dollar deal right i can't tell my neighbors that <laughs> uh, you know so yeah yeah i get that 100 percent behind every great man as they say so great answer andrew i don't think you're a big social guy so maybe it's a website but where do you want to direct people uh for learning more about you and what you do yeah, just our website. If you Google Vantage Point Acquisitions or just my name, I we, it all comes up. But uh, the website is vpacq.com, short for Vantage Point Acquisitions. And uh, I, I, you know, I realize, you know, I can't be completely left behind, so I have to do something social. So I've, I've, I've um, settled on I can do LinkedIn, right? LinkedIn. So I actually that, yeah. do post and get on LinkedIn on a regular basis. Now, I, I, I you're never going to see me doing dances on TikTok or Instagram or any of this stuff. But LinkedIn feels like, okay, that's more of a natural fit. So I if you please yeah, reach out, connect on LinkedIn. Uh, if you go to the website, there's a contact us form and you can you know fill that out and then set up a call. And uh, hopefully uh, anyone who's listening, I'll see you uh, in Vermont uh, or at another or, or in Lake Oconee or another another event soon. So I'll see it both, my friend. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. All right. Good talking to you, Jamie.